Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley of PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the DS Radio Network. That was the voice of our late producer, Marty Oakley, who passed on April the 1st of this year. She was the backbone of this talk show and a mighty warrior. Rest in peace, Marty. Good evening. I'm Marcia Joyner, and this is Betrayed by Hospice. Over the past six years, I have talked to hundreds of people, and only a few have said to me, oh, I had a wonderful experience with hospice. They were so supportive and met all of our needs. But the one that gets me is when someone says, my loved one died peacefully in their sleep. Well, that might be that they believe they had a wonderful experience, but in the back of my mind is, did they really know what their loved one was going through? Were they there when their loved one was alert, talking and eating and living life until their natural death? And then all of a sudden they took a turn for the worse and were in a coma? How did that happen so quickly? Or were they not present and they didn't see and they were just told, oh, they died peacefully in their sleep? Seriously? How else would a person who was drugged to death die but in their sleep? They are in a drug-induced coma. They are chemically restrained. But I hesitate to tell someone who is at peace that their perception might be wrong. What would be the point? For those of us who have experienced the reality of hospice, whose life has been altered forever because of the horror of it, or for those who don't know but want to know, this program is for you. And as I've always heard, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We share the truth with you, and you decide what you do with the knowledge. Knowledge is power. A couple of months back, I was having a ladies' brunch at a friend's house, and I met some of her friends, and the topic just happened to go to hospice. Okay, it didn't happen to go. I brought it up. And the ladies wanted to know more, and there was one lovely lady who said she was hospice volunteer and asked, why would hospice want to kill someone when they're making money off of taking care of them? That's a legitimate question. So every year, there is an aggregate cap on the amount of money that Medicare, Medicaid will pay per person per year. In 2023, that amount is $32,486.92, which just about covers six months per person for their care. But it's a pot of annual money per person, and some patients require more assistance than others. Some will die sooner, maybe in two weeks, two months, and some live longer than six months. Some are in home hospice, some are in nursing homes, or as you will hear tonight, respite care, which is one of the most expensive cares. In any case, a facility is not going to let a patient eat into their profit, and it doesn't matter if it is a for-profit or non-profit hospice. Tonight, we're going to talk with a family from Tennessee who found out the hard way about the truth of hospice and what respite care really means. There are about 16% of seniors over the age of 65 in Tennessee, so it's no surprise that many find themselves being called by hospice staff lurking in hospitals just waiting for that next enrollment, a quota. Yes, there is a quota. Check out an excellent book written by Michelle Young Doers, who was a hospice respiratory therapist and wrote Killing for Profit, 
the dark side of hospice for more chilling details and information on patient's care. So once hospice is brought up, you probably would do a Google Google search like most of us, and guess what you're going to find? You're going to find out how wonderful and compassionate they are. But that certainly isn't the truth, as many of us have witnessed. I looked up the hospice facility that we're talking about tonight in Tennessee, and I want to share with you some of what they say. Hospice care allows patients and their families to experience the end of life together in the comfort and security of home, fulfilling basic human needs of feeling comfortable in familiar surroundings and attaining physical and emotional peace during the last stage of life. They can make a difference in the quality of you and your loved one's life and emphasize the quality and not a cure. Hospice is about living as long as possible while being as comfortable as possible. They sure talk a lot about the patient being comfortable, don't they? And two of the boldest lies I have ever read that make me want to puke in my mouth is hospice is extra care not an end to care. That's on their website. It is clearly an end to any care, and many nurses have commented, we aren't here to cure anything but make them comfortable, a.k.a. drug them into a coma. And that second lie, statistics show that hospice care often extends a patient's life by a number of days. Whose statistics are they looking at? We have all found out the hard way that it ends their life sooner. It doesn't extend it. Further, this hospice says they have something many don't, a residential hospice facility. Oh, yay. There may come a time when home hospice care is no longer possible. Then this hospice has you covered as they have six private suites with a bath, TV, refrigerator, and a private patio. There is a common area, a dining area, and a kitchen. Family members are welcome to visit at any time of day. Medical staff are present 24 hours to make sure that the patient and the families are well cared for. Our goal is to provide comfort and support to the parent, the patients, and their families. So why do you think it may they make it sound like a spa-type environment to entice you to bring your loved one here? And this is where many will die, not in the comfort of their home and not even with their family, in the case of Wayne Kindred, as you will hear tonight. The site further says many people believe that hospice is to be called upon when death is imminent and they wait until the final days. More times than not, our patients and their families state they wish they had called us sooner. Okay. In my six years of listening to hundreds of victim stories of tragic death, the murder of their loved ones, I have never heard anyone say they wish they had called hospice sooner. They all say they wish they had never let hospice in their life. This site further states they provide physical, spiritual, emotional, and bereavement care. I fail to understand how someone who ended the life of my loved one intentionally could ever provide me any emotional support. No, thank you. Keep your fake sympathy to yourself. Tonight's story brought back many memories for me with my mom's death in 2017. 
my parents were tricked into going to the hospice respite facility in South Georgia, where my dad had been the hospice chaplain for 15 years, 10 years earlier. And they said he would receive rest, and they'd take care of my mom in the meantime. They had individual rooms across the hall from each other, which I had never heard of, but I had no reference. They immediately started drugging my mom with morphine, Ativan, and fentanyl, and the medical records clearly state my mom cried because she didn't want to take morphine, and she never could be consoled. And when she was given 100 micrograms of fentanyl and it invaded her body, she had horrible side effects. Medical records are very telling, and you can have a copy at any time, not only after your loved one is gone. We witnessed murder right in front of us and tried to stop, but we failed her because of our ignorance. I don't want that to happen to anyone else. Respite care is a quicker means for hospice to remove your loved one, place them in 24-7 care, not under the watchful eye of the family, and hasten their death, period. Hospice respite, a deadly betrayal. Tonight, my guest, Arena Kindred, the wife of Wayne Kindred, who lost his life in hospice respite care on October the 15th, 2023, in Tennessee. Wayne was 82, and yes, he had some health issues, which Rena will talk about, but that didn't mean anybody had the right to take away his right to life. Rena and Wayne had three daughters and one son, and tonight you will also hear from Stella Fussell, and Vicki Hagen. Rena and Wayne met in 1947 and were childhood sweethearts and celebrated their 64th anniversary <clears throat> in September of this year. Sadly, that is their last celebration together as a family because of hospice. They were told it was only going to be five days for respite and then he would come home. That was a bold-faced lie. I'd like to extend my sincere condolences to all of my guests this evening, and I realize this experience is very recent and raw, and often it may be hard for you to say the words. Please take your time. I am deeply sorry. Rena, I'd like to start with you telling us a little bit about Wayne and how he came to be in hospice care. Um, Marcia. Thank you for allowing us to be on your program. Since my husband Wayne's untimely death in a hospice facility on October the 15th of this year, my daughters and I have been intent on exposing hospice for what it truly is, not angels of mercy nor comfort care, but the grim reaper with a syringe of morphine in one hand and a fentanyl patch in the other. I'm going to give you a little background on how Wayne came to be in hospice. Wayne and I had been married for 64 years, as Marcia has said, and we had four children and eight amazing grandchildren. We operated a successful business for many years until Wayne retired in 2009. He was beginning to show signs of pretty serious memory loss at that time. And then in 2017, he had two very serious surgeries, open heart surgery in February of that year and a bowel resection in May. 
While in the ICU after the heart surgery, Wayne was given morphine. He began hallucinating and having terrible delusions. They immediately removed him from the morphine drip and advised us to never give him morphine again because he was sensitized to it. Wayne was diagnosed in 2018 with mild memory impairment, and his ability to remember and cope continued on a downhill slide until his diagnosis in 2021 of Alzheimer's slash dementia. This is a horrible disease. As anybody who's dealt with it will tell you, there is no getting better. It is a steady downhill slide into oblivion, and the person who has always been is no longer there. Someone has said you lose them twice. The last few months of Wayne's life here on earth, he'd become a 24-7 job for two people. My oldest daughter is retired and came to stay with us the past several months of Wayne's life, and another daughter was able to finally get leave approved, so she came that last month. I could never have cared for Wayne those last few months without their 24-7 help. It was our intent to keep him home till he passed. We needed help, though. We were exhausted, all of us. And hospice was promoted as caring people who will supply all your needs, come to your home, and offer comfort to you as the caretaker and to your loved one who is terminally ill. Here's the lie number one, and Marcia has already addressed some of these lies. Hospice neither hastens nor prolongs death. Lie number two, hospice allows nature to take its course. Lie number three, you have the right to refuse any and all care and medication, or myself in Wayne's case as he was unable to do that. I was ignorant and believed the lies, as so many are. My daughters and I have made it our goal to tell Wayne's story and expose the lies. He came into hospice. I requested, I called the doctor and requested to see if she could get him in hospice because we were so worn out and so tired and needed some help, and they had promised to be so helpful and so caring, and I had had so many good reports about hospice. As Marcia said, you can't find anything bad about them. So the hospice nurse came to our home on September the 11th of 2023 and set Wayne up for in-home care. At that time, she gave us what they called an e-kit. We understood the kit to contain morphine and Xanax. Later, we were informed that it also contained a fentanyl patch. We were to put these in a safe place until needed. Also, she gave us some AHR Ativan Haldol Reglan cream, and my daughter picked it up that same day. That was to be rubbed on Wayne's skin at one or two milliliters as needed, for his anxiety and his hallucination. The nurse was informed at this time that Wayne was sensitive to and was advised never again to take morphine. 
The nurse explained that the intravenous morphine that he'd received after surgery was different from the morphine they used. Really? She never made a note of this. We did use Xanax from the kit. Very slightly we used some of that, but I never even bothered with anything else because my intent was never to use any of it. The AHR cream was used very sparingly to control his moods and the sundowners. Because we closely monitored Wayne on all his medication, we found that he could not take more than one milliliter of the salve every six to eight hours, or he would writhe in the floor and hold his head. Wayne was already taking Ativan that was prescribed by his Alzheimer's doctor. The hospice nurses made five visits to the house between September the 11th and October the 5th, and each time continued to encourage me to take advantage of the respite care they offered at their facility. After several months of 24-7 care, I was ready for a break. I was still a little hesitant, so my daughter and I took Wayne the day before he was to go in on October the 8th, we took that was a Sunday, we took him over there on Saturday to look at the facility. And we took all of his meds and explained how they were to be administered and took his drinks and put them in the refrigerator. And while I was with Wayne showing him his room, putting away his drinks and putting his clothes in the drawers, my daughter was going over all my husband's medications with the nurse on duty. My daughter explained that my husband could not take morphine, even though we had been instructed to bring the e-kit with us. She also told the nurse not to give him two milliliters of AHR cream and why. I had spent some time writing all these instructions down about how Wayne's whole med should be administered and stapled it to the bag, in addition to the fact that my daughter went over it orally with them. My daughter remarked that the nurse seemed more interested in counting and documenting the narcotics than anything else and didn't think she was paying a bit of attention to what my daughter was trying to tell her about Wayne's medications at home. Three days before Wayne was to go to the hospice facility, the home health care nurse came and documented all his home meds and how they were to be administered and gave him excellent ratings on all scores on his health and his mental issues. Because we were trying to avoid a scene if I took Wayne and left him, we had the ambulance to take him for his visit. He walked out to the ambulance on his own, allowed them to strap him in, smiled and waved because he thought he was going on a grand adventure. That was the last time I saw him conscious. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <clears throat> no, you take your he time, Rena. He arrived at the facility um, Sunday afternoon and... Their documents state he was walking, talking, alert, oriented, able to stand and sit, went to the bathroom, voided without difficulty, ate 100% of his meal, 
at 8 p.m., the same nurse that had been told not to put two milliliters of AHR cream on him did put two milliliters of AHR cream on him, which I am confident caused him to start warning out of the bed, calling out and misbehaving. My daughter was told by the head nurse after my husband was dying that he was wandering the halls and going into other patients' rooms, and they couldn't have that. They started him on the morphine 11 hours after his arrival. Mind you, when he arrived, he was in excellent health, aware and alert. He went in on Sunday afternoon at 2.40. By 10.30, Monday morning, less than a day after he arrived, my husband, as documented in their records, was in a fetal position, his eyes closed, and unresponsive. He had been given six milliliters of AHR cream, a half a milligram of Ativan, Xanax twice, 40 milligrams of morphine. He was down. But did they stop? No. They continued to overdose him with all these narcotics until they called me at 4.30 in the morning On Friday, four and a half days later, the day I was to pick him up to tell me he was dying, during this five-day respite, he received 16 milliliters of AHR cream, five milligrams of lorazepam or Ativan, half a milligram of Xanax, 1,480 milligrams of morphine, and 25 milligrams of fentanyl. He also got Glycopyrate, robinol, and scopolamine for his secretions that occur naturally, I suppose, when someone is dying. That they caused. And that they caused. Right. And during this time, not one of his home meds was given, nor his Alzheimer patch applied. He was fed two times in that period. He was given a couple sips of water. It was very important that he not miss his high blood pressure medicine, his prostate medicine, and his depression medicine. I am sure that that contributed to any pain or confusion or agitation that he may have had because he was cut off cold turkey from all of those medications. No vitals were ever taken until he was unconscious and dying on the fifth day. I was never consulted one time during his stay about any changes to his medication, nor as to his condition, even though I called every day and was assured he was resting and doing well. I was preparing to go pick my husband up that day they called, expecting him to be in as good or better shape than when I left him. And they carried him out of that place on a stretcher. Yeah. This is unconscionable and must be changed. That is my story. Well, I I am so very sorry that this happened. I... I know you guys together did an Excel spreadsheet 
and listed out everything, the medication that he was given and what his you know, vital statistics were and how he was feeling. And it, like day two, like you said, he said, I want to go home. And not one time did they call you to say, Miss Kindred, your husband's asking to come home. Do you want to come see him and maybe calm him down? You know, how do you want to handle this? That was your husband. That was his right, your right, and your daughter's right for them to tell you this is what's going on. What decision do you want to make? But they didn't do that. They completely took over his life, and they ended it. That's exactly what they intended to do. It is my feeling that was the intention because... October is the beginning of their fiscal year, so they got his thirty-two or $34,000, and they don't have any more money to spend on him. Well, it goes into a pot, and then they can spend it on somebody else. Right. So it's, they don't, they're not going to lose any money. And if a person is combative, which he tried to get out of the bed because he was – having hallucinations from them giving him morphine when he was opioid naive, and you had already told him that. You had all been clear on that. So after they started giving him that, he wants to leave, and so he gets up out of bed. They had to con- exactly. they restrained him at that point. They gave him more Ativan and more morphine, and then they added the 25 micrograms of fentanyl, and I don't know how much our listeners know about fentanyl, but it's 100 times stronger than morphine and 50 times stronger than heroin. Therefore, it's in micrograms instead of milligrams because of its potency. And they gave this to a man on top of Ativan and morphine plus the cream that they were using. And that, from what I understand... Um, He was highly allergic to Benadryl also, which typically that cream is called ABHR, which has the Ativan, Benadryl, Haldol, and Reglan in it. But because he was allergic to Benadryl, they at least, supposedly, didn't give him that. Yes. But all of the drugs that they gave him have side effects, drowsiness, stomachache, nervousness, headache, confusion, vertigo, depression, difficulty urinating, constipation, and decrease in appetite. All of these things they're giving him, so they're creating his mood swings, his irritability, and then it's like they punish him for it because he tries to get out of bed, so they give him another drug, to restrain him. It is cruel, it is inhumane, and you are absolutely right, this should stop. This this is not right to do this to people, to anybody. And because Well, you we need to, to get the word out. We do. And that's, you know, that's part of what this program, you know, we do on exactly. the program. And, you know, the group Murdered by Hospice, the Facebook group, um, you know, we get the word out that way also. So, but it's tragic. But you guys didn't do anything wrong other than the fact you didn't know and you trusted 
what you were told, the lies you talked about a while ago. Exactly. We you don't want other that. people to be ignorant. Exactly. Exactly. No. No, absolutely. So the document that you put together, um, you explained, you know, what all was in that. I mean, you, you have done an excellent job giving, you know, a day-to-day events on, on how this came about. Exactly. I um, also noticed that his temperature um, in the spreadsheet that you had said that the temperature was high, and according to their thermometer, they couldn't go any higher than 106. Exactly. So here he is with a 106 temperature, sweating, hallucinating, completely confused, and they continue to give him drugs until you said point blank, no. You know, once you were there, you had them stop. Don't give them anything. Giving him. Exactly. Well, the sad part of it is uh, there are too many people out there believing the lie, and we just need to beef up our efforts to get the word out there. And, and I didn't even know to look on a place like these places that we've been finding since all of this happened. I, I wish there were some public forum that we could, like a newspaper, or we, we've been trying, and of course we've hit brick walls everywhere, and I'm sure others have done the same. Um, trying to get politicians' attention, trying to get news people's attention. Um, I've had a call in to an attorney. He hasn't called me back because he's in with the rest of the politicians in this area. So it's kind of like it's very difficult to get, get the word out. They are protected. They are because it saves money, right? Um, of course. You pay your entire life into Medicare, and so that when you turn 65, that it will be there to assist you with some of your financial um, issues that you may have, your expenses. And one of the things that hospice does is they tout, well, it's not going to cost you anything because Medicare exactly. or Medicaid is going to pay for it. And so everybody mm-hmm. goes, oh, that's great. You know, you're going to help me. You're going to come to the house. You're going to bring mm-hmm. a bed. You're going to, you know, bring mm-hmm. creams. A nurse is going to come to see me. This is wonderful. You might bring a meal, maybe light housekeeping. And that's how they get their mm-hmm. foot in the door. The fact is that Medicare is what's paying for this. And you paid into that. Exactly. And Wayne paid in for that. So it's not a free service. And what the cost is, is your loved one's life. And that's what people don't seem to understand. There is a huge cost to that. It's what you call humanity. It's your loved one's life. And and like I said earlier, it doesn't make any difference if it's profit or non-profit. They all do this. And we can't recommend any particular ones because it changes. Um, there is a group called HaloVoice.org, 
Um, Julie Grinstad is the president of that, and they have a very, very good website that gives you a life-affirming medical proxy document to have. Everybody should have a document that gives somebody in charge of you in the event that you can't speak for yourself. But if you don't know what you don't know, and you didn't, and I didn't, and and thousands of people don't know, then you don't even know that you need to protect your loved one with hospice. I mean, he was going to a respite facility to let you get rest, and they would take good care of him, and then in five days he's going to come home. And just like what I read on their website, you know, they have private suites, they have the bathroom, they have a TV refrigerator, they make it sound like it's a private patio, it's a spa. Exactly, exactly. Well, we went over there and looked at it, and we were very impressed that it was a nice home-like atmosphere, and it would be great, but little did we know. And and you thought he would be safe. You had no reason to think that he wouldn't be. Exactly. So I know we have um, Stella and Vicki um, on the line also. Um, I'd certainly okay, like to give I'll, each one of you ladies an okay, opportunity. Okay, I'll mute my phone so they can talk then. All right, Marcia. Okay, good well, you, stay, you with stay with us now. Rena, don't I'll you stay leave. with you, but I'll, okay. I'll, just mute, I'll just mute my phone so I don't okay. interfere. All right. Okay. Who do I have, Vicki? I'm here, Marcia, yes. Okay. So what would you like to add? Your mom did a wonderful job on giving the information out, but I'm sure that there are other things that you would like to add to this. Well, my main concern uh, mainly is that they never documented uh, my mother and my sister, Tracy, both told them that Dad was sensitive to morphine. Um, they never documented that because if they document it, then they can't use it. Um, that's that was not in the medical records at all? It was not in their records where Tracy and Mom had told them that he was sensitive to morphine. Um, I don't know that they pulled any of Dad's records from his heart surgery or anything like that. But... Mm-hmm. Um, Another thing is they never um, called mom. And when she called, and she called once, at least once and sometimes twice a day to check on him, uh, she got the same pat answer that he was fine, he's resting, and uh, he was not fine. Um, at, at one point they said he was sitting up with his legs over the side of the bed and he was crying and saying that he wanted out of the facility. So mm. I don't I don't understand why uh nobody thought to give mom a call other than the fact that they just were intent on killing him. Absolutely. And then they acted they acted surprised when Stella and mom showed up on Friday and Stella was telling them we didn't want him to have morphine. They acted surprised at that. Um, and also, they never even gave him any of his home medications, which would have thrown him into uh, a 
a perfect storm. Um, his prostate was, he was on a double dose of prostate medication because his prostate was swollen, which kept him from being able to empty his bladder. And that causes pain if you can't exactly. empty your bladder. And so, of course, he's going to be moaning and groaning if he's hurting from his bladder being full. And, um, of course, he's going to be acting aggressive and confused if he's not getting his Alzheimer's patch or his blood pressure medicine or his depression medicine. Um, They just used all of that as an excuse to start him on the death cocktail. That's exactly what they do. And the drugs that they're giving him are causing a lot of those issues, too. Exactly, and here's the funny thing, Marcia. All the things that we were noticing, uh, all of the secretions that were coming out of his nose and his mouth, um, his high temperature, they were telling us that all of that was because he, it was part of the death process. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we now know that the temperature was caused by the fentanyl patch. Um, because as soon as they took that patch off of him, his temperature started coming down. So um, they tell you lies, and of course you you're at their mercy. If you don't know any better, you're at their mercy. But um, it 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 just shouldn't happen. There there's I mean all of the good positive stuff is out there to make people want to use hospice, but. You cannot find the negative to give no. you an educated, um, to be able to make an educated decision about whether you want to use their services. Exactly. Exactly. And that's hidden. And it's hidden for a reason. And they're going to tell you they're compassionate. And, again, like I said in my opening, people say, you know, my loved one died peacefully in their sleep. Well, that's what you were told. Maybe that's what you saw, but did you see what happened to them in the meantime, which is what all of us witnessed, and it is a sign of dying, but they have put your person, they are killing them, and so it is a sign of dying. Did they give you a booklet? They have this little booklet that tells you all of this that is, to me, insulting because they they call it. They did on Friday, Marcia. This is Stella. They gave, uh, actually, it's my nephew's wife who's a nurse. They gave her that little booklet that explains the process of dying. And right. I'll, I'll stop and let Vicki go ahead. But, yes, they well, gave no, us that's one. Well, no, that's okay, Stella. Now, they, well, I'm they, did, be... they did give me that booklet when uh, when the social worker came out about two days later after the original or maybe the next week, I don't remember. But she brought me that little blue book, too. Mm-hmm. Because they well, want you to read that because you look at the symptoms. You know, they, they talked about, you know, his fingers turning blue, the fact that he wasn't urinating a lot. They, those are the symptoms of someone's body shutting down. Well, your body mm-hmm. is going to shut down it, by giving the Ativan and the morphine, because they're not going to have an appetite. He wasn't drinking. He's getting dehydrated. They've taken him off of his regular meds, and that is the entire point of what they're doing. But so they are causing it to look like he's dying. Well, he is now because they've done that right. to him, 
and they want to act smarmy and act like they care. Oh, and this is just a dying process. You just need to accept this, sweetie. It's insulting. Well, and we they, didn't know because you don't know what you don't know. And when you find out, you're so angry at the system. Right. And they, um, I'm going to let Stella talk about the bed sores because she actually saw them. Um, I didn't. I didn't lay eyes on the sores, but I did want to let you know, uh, Marcia, that Dad ate like a horse. I mean, sometimes he was asking when food was going to be ready because he just. I mean, he would just clean his plate every time. He enjoyed food. So sure. Yes. He did, so it wasn't like he was refusing to eat. Now, sometimes Mom had a hard time getting him to drink, but she always did, every day. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I'll let Stella tell you about his bed sores and whatever else she has. Okay. Stella? Hey, Monica. Yes. And, and again, I just want to reiterate what Mom said was, uh, we're just so grateful uh, to have come across you and you giving us this platform to tell our story. It's just been a blessing, a true blessing. Well, thank you. Thank um, you. I, I wish I could do more. Well, you've done a lot, and you've gotten us in touch with some great help, and we just appreciate you. Um, well, thank you. I want to pull this back to dad crying because that one gets me i continue to have nightmares thoughts about my dad being scared and crying he was always such a big man built every home we ever lived in strong smart ingenuitive um but him crying asking to go home and we read in the nursing notes, after he's dead now, mind you, they gave him morphine for that. For crying. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. It, it was a cruel torture for four and a half days, what they did to my dad. And it's going to be a hard thing for me to get into forgiveness. And I know I'm going to have to at some point. But... Uh- no. Go ahead. I mean, it's been six years for me, and I don't forgive them. I don't forget. And, I, I, you know, I know that as a Christian I shouldn't, but I hate them, and I wish them really bad things. So, no, you don't – I mean, some people say you have to forgive. I, I'm not one of those people that tells you that. I don't believe you have to forgive them. So. The condition that we found my dad – and on uh, October the 13th, when my mom got that call that morning, I will never forget her voice. Stella, Hosta just called and said your dad is dying. I just jumped out of bed. And we ran there. And he was in the fetal position, and he had this hard stuff coming out of him. The room had a smell. It was awful. I mean, why? Why? That could have never happened. And we did end up seeing bed sores um, 
they started at the back of his shoulders and went down to his buttocks. That was horrible. My dad's skin was like a baby. <laughs> we took such good care of him, 24-7. Mm-hmm. We kept Dad clean. We kept him mobile, uh, even to the point where Mom had to hide his shoes from him <laughs> because he wanted to go all the time. But that was something my mom did to my dad, and that was one of the, or did for my dad, and one of the first things I said to those nurses at that hospice house uh, was um, my mom, she allowed my dad to keep his independence. Any independence that he had, she let him. She let him feed himself, you know. She she did that for him. And the first one of the first things I said to them was, "What did you do? Take all his independence away and render him to this bed?" I mean, that's what they did to him, Marcia. But at the time, all we knew was morphine. We didn't know mm-hmm. till Dad was dead what they did to him. Right, and you didn't no- read. And you didn't read his reactions until you read the medical records. Right. And and the one bed sore, and I looked up bed sores. I am not a nurse. <laughs> and uh, I looked them up, and I think he was in, like, a second stage on the heel of his foot because it had bubbled up into, like, a blister. And, uh, wow. It, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In the five do- days. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And and the doctor that was supposed to be over my dad in this hospice care said that's that's uh, normal. That can happen. People can get it that shouldn't like happen. That. It shouldn't no. happen. They have mattresses no. that they can do that have air in them, and they can move him around. And he was mobile. He should have been able to sit up. And but they rendered him incapable because they restrained him with chemicals. Right, and uh, it was horrible the way they patronized us uh, in the end. And and I just have to be honest, uh, Vicky and my mom met with executive uh, management of that place and the administrative nurse who told me she gave the order. If I wanted to blame somebody, blame her. She gave the order. Then the doctor ends up telling my mother in that meeting he was on vacation. How is that possible? So the nurse was making the order to give him the drugs. Correct. Correct. Well, from my understanding... Not that I'm medical, but um, nurses are not supposed to be doing that unless, see, they get by with this by saying PRN, that a doctor had written a um, an overarching order that in hospice anything goes and as needed. You can give that them is exactly Haldol, Ativan, Seroquel, Fentanyl, as the nurse sees fit. And, and I blame a lot of this on the nurses, you know, certainly in my mother's case. Um, I blame the nurses for killing my mother. 
And they have no compassion. Well, there is no humanity. They don't have any heart. They, they do this day in, day out, and it doesn't bother them? No. No, as a matter of fact, when this is Vicki speaking, when, when Mom and I had the initial meeting with the hospice administrator, she never, my mother never received an apology. Um, she stated to the administrator that she felt that that facility murdered her husband and she was getting ready to have to bury her husband because of them. And the administrator just looked at her and said, I'm sorry you feel that way. So how, they how could I life. not? Yeah, how could I not? Right. So, well, um, they're not. We have. They're, they're, they, they don't acknowledge your what you're saying at all. No. No, they don't. They just ignore you and just roll right over you. Um, we have a caller that called in um, 616. You are live and on the air. Hi, my name is Holly. I'm calling from Michigan. Um, okay. I've uh, worked in the hospitals, um, I don't know, 35 years plus, um, as far as all these areas, as a respiratory therapist specifically. But um, I have to tell people the culture has changed a big time, okay? It's going to get worse, and you should not forgive these people. But the culture is changing. It used to be hospice was for people who had an extremely chronic disease or a death disease, like end-stage cancer or something like that. They were end of life. And they actually were end of life, and they were in lots of pain, and they would say, I can't do this anymore. And that was the rules that were written. And then we, you know, had the wars with Kevorkian and say, no, they can't do this and do that. And then all of a sudden they reversed that and all the money came in. Um, and the culture has changed from end of life to protocol killing. And so when you go in there, if you put your person there, their perspective from every worker that works there, everything from CNA to nurse to doctors not there, orders are pre-written. It's a protocol. So, yes, nurses right. do it. doesn't matter. It's a protocol. So this whole thing about nurses can't do it, yes, they can. Because the protocol is written. It is by a protocol, period. And um, it's gone from letting and helping families and and people who are actually in the dying stage from cancer or something like that's what it was for, or something that's really debilitating. And it's gone from that to just killing, uh, especially the elderly and disabled. It's just gone now, to are you killing. A hospice, are you a hospice nurse or... Just in the practice rest, of nursing. I'm and I have been in hospice quite a lot. And, and so what we do with hospice therapists. Yeah, we do. Respiratory we, we treat people that, not just hospice, but we treat people that are also, um, what do you call it, in the, what's the other word? Not hospice, but the other one. Um, palliative? Yeah, palliative. Pal- palliative and hospice is not supposed to be the same thing. Um, okay, and but so what, but what, 
Go ahead. I want to go back to what you said earlier about a person who has cancer. And you're absolutely right. When Cicely Saunders created hospice in 1967, it was for someone who was actively dying, and it was to minimize their pain and to provide comfort to that person and the family. It was never meant for somebody that has congestive heart failure or COPD or kidney failure, it was supposed to be at the end of life to minimize pain. And this particular facility in Tennessee had stated in their documentation that people come to them that they believe that it's when death is imminent that they should bring hospice in and that people then say they wish they had done it sooner. There's the problem. Hospice well, should that's not a, be brought that's, in. That's a, that's a whole different story, though, if death is imminent and you're, you're trying to help somebody. And it's supposed to have been family-oriented. It was supposed to have been, um, you know, having someone. And it was also supposed to be able to get medications easier. That's why people go to hospice nowadays is because it's easier to get care and it's easier to get certain medications taken care of faster because it's a whole different protocol, and that's where the. But you also have to understand that we, they all, everybody already knows about all the hospice stuff because there was, oh God, the research they've done where all these people were signed up for hospice, but they were never in hospice. They were just signed up because of the amount of money that comes through, there was an awful lot of, uh, um, and nothing was ever done about that. Nothing was ever done. But you also have to understand also that it was pushed back, especially with the um, nursing home things, people who were not in hospice because of the amount of medications that uh, uh, nursing homes were giving people. And that got pushed back back in Bush, in, in Bush, President Bush's era. He pushed it back and stopped the psychedelic drugs from beginning the morphine, and he stopped it, and they made laws, and they made bigger fines. Right. Then resolve it, that it helped push it back because so many people were complaining. But back then, things were more family-oriented, and families were more involved. And then we had a huge And families stuff. typically take care of them, to take care of their family, which is what, Rena was doing with Wayne. So I'm going to yeah, um, cut you off there. Thank, really, thank you for calling in, but I want to get back to um, my girls here. Okay? Thank okay. you for calling in. I right. appreciate it. And hopefully you'll stay with us. Okay. Okay. Um, one of the things, Stella, that you were talking about with your dad sitting on the side of the bed and crying, um, Rena, I, I got to hand it to you and, your, and all three of your daughters. You allowed Wayne to continue to have his dignity and by that by letting him be mobile be up be moving around to have meals to do what he was doing until his natural death and i don't believe for one minute that he was on his deathbed and that death was imminent you hospice offered a service and they you said, yes, I'll take your service, and that was to help you. That was not to drug your husband into a coma and to hasten his death. And hospice took advantage of you, as they do so many other people. And what people don't seem to understand is they are destroying families. And I'm not saying your family is destroyed. I mean, you know, you have, you know, 
four wonderful children and you have a support system, but you lo- they lost their dad and you lost your husband in the coolest way Well, it certainly has left a vacuum in, in, in our family. If, if we had been able to bring him home from there and care for him, maybe it, it's like I told those people in the meeting. You know, if you had called me and said, your husband just died of a heart attack, I'd have said, thank you, Lord, because he yes. was difficult for everybody, but it was never our intent to end his life. It was our intent to keep him well as long as we could and comfortable till the end exactly. of his life. Exactly. That's right. And that's what that we promise. do. They do. We do that as a family, and they took it from you. They took his last days, hours, weeks, you know, from exactly. you and your family. They took um, those from us. Back to Vicky, no, something you said that I, I made a note on. Um, you stated, I think you said, that the medical records do not say that he is allergic to morphine. Their records, they never... Right put down right, that, it that mom told them he was sensitive. Right. So or, this is one of the Tracy. things. I know that Tracy is talking to Carol Herman, Foundation Aiding yes. the Elderly. That is something she needs to tell Carol. Okay. Because that's a regulatory requirement, and that's what Carol deals with. So please make sure, and Tracy, if you're listening, you need to make sure you tell Carol that it was it was given to them that he was allergic to morphine, but it is not in his medical records. That's important. Um, the other thing that Stella, I think you and I had talked about, is that there were needles laying around in the um, the room, a stack of needles just laying there in an opened biohazard box. That should never happen. And yes. Carol needs to be made aware of that also. I kept wanting to know, what, what, what are these? You know, is this from another patient? Because they were telling us that they gave him morphine uh, via, like, in his mouth. So, so what were these Three. needles? Where were these syringes from? Well, right, if they're giving it sublingual. Yeah, you're right. Well, another what, what, thing, too. What were they giving him with the syringes? Oh, they they never said they gave him anything through a syringe, but how are we supposed no. to know? They they also added geodon to his um, medicinal protocol, and they put in their record that mom approved of that, and they never told her that that was added to his protocol. So when we had the second meeting that involved the head nurse and the doctor and one of the home hospice nurses, uh, I asked, I just said, how much geodon did you give to my father? And I mean, very quickly, the head nurse spoke up and said, oh, we never use that. And I said, well, funny that it was added to his protocol and you guys put in your IDG records that my mother approved of it and she was never told nor was my mother ever contacted when they started using the morphine or the um, fentanyl. fentanyl patch. They never mm-hmm. contacted her to make sure that was okay to do. So they think they're off the hook because 
I told them that they needed to create a document that they have everybody sign when they come in or initial, especially for respite care, but they say they're using it for everybody. Um, You know, it's just five or six simple questions about whether or not the family, the caretaker wants to be contacted for different issues. And I thought that was kind of silly. Yes, and they should do that, but the thing is they're going to do the easiest, simplest way, and by letting you, the family, know the reality of what we're doing, you might object, and they don't want any objections. And right. as right. Um, our nurse respiratory therapist that called in, that they have a set order that's already set there, and these are all the list of drugs that they can give the patient who is under hospice, Mm -hmm. and understanding that when you're in hospice, like there are certain drugs, black box drugs, and you shouldn't be given Ativan and and morphine to somebody over 65. It's called a black box drug. And they do that, and adding the two together, and I looked in your dad's records, and every time he was given morphine, he was given Ativan. And they give Mm -hmm. that to them because when you're in hospice, and if you look at CMS website, Everything goes out the window. There are no safety requirements for someone who is in hospice. The regulation well, you, does not require that you not give them a black box drug and that you be very careful because it could cause falls, hallucination, uh, you stop them from eating, mood changes, irritability. It goes out the window when hospice comes in. Well, Geodon, it is also stated that Geodon is never supposed to be given to anybody with, with dementia or Alzheimer's. But you mentioned you mentioned CMS. It's funny yes. because on the CMS website, uh, I don't ask me what the specific document is, but they have a protocol in there specific to respite, and it says in there that the patient, or I'm assuming the, the patient's surrogate, if, they're, if they have mental incapacity, they're supposed to be um, consulted about whether or not they are receiving the same type or level of care that they would be receiving at home. That is a requirement on the CMS uh, website. It's also on the, the National Hospice association whatever that website is as well um so i find it funny that they state specifically in there for respite patients that they're supposed to be receiving the same level of care that they would be receiving if they were at home exactly and being kept comfortable but your definition and my definition of comfortable are two different things that's exactly right. Their definition right. And, and our definition. Comfortable to them means give them more morphine, put them out so that they're resting right. peacefully. You know, and uh-huh. I noticed in your records that it says, you know, in some cases no distress or discomfort. You know, patient still sleeping, no groaning, both eyes closed, laying supine. That makes in. them happy. It, that but Marcia, they would give them more drugs. They would put mm-hmm. that in the notes. Followed right. by more Ativan, more Haldol cream, more morphine, on and on and on. You know, if right. he was comfortable, why were they doping him to death? I'm still angry. You'll have so to that he doesn't, me. so that he doesn't wake up and you take him home. Mm-hmm. Their whole goal mm-hmm. was not to let your mom take him home, 
at the end of that stay, it, 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 there was no intention of him getting out. And, again, I'm going to go back to this. It's cruel. It's inhumane. And for me and my family, we will avoid hospice. My, I lost my dad. He had dementia. And I lost him in October of 2021 that hospice was never going to come in our sphere again after what they did to my mom, ever. Mm-hmm. Right. We promised my mom that too, Marcia. Right. Exactly. So I know you had um, a nurse that was looking over everything, and so I wanted to post your dad's death. You did a couple of things. I know that you reached out to a local site in um, your area and that you were chastised and that your post was taken down, but prior to that, you had lots of people commenting that they agreed with you. That's correct. Over 200 that had uh, responded to my post, Marcia, and this is Stella. Yes, I did that in the community, uh, mm-hmm. the area. And uh, it was up 12 hours, and it was gone. No explanation. So I wrote the administrator Vicki probably can tell you more clearly what was said, but he was kind of threatening me with slander, and he said, these things need to be talked about in a courtroom, and blah dee blah dee blah Like, trying to scare if, me, I think. Yes, as if a judge would take the, I mean, an attorney. An attorney won't take the um, case. Well, let me interject here. This is Vicki. Um, my sister Tracy reached out to the investigative reporter to our small-town newspaper here. Um, Stella reached out to the county mayor. Um, We looked last night on their tax records. We went on the IRS website and accessed their tax records, and both the mayor and that investigative reporter are on their board. The hospice board? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So this is small-town America, um, good old boy system. Um, That's why we're getting rebuffed at every turn, and nobody Mm -hmm. will talk to us. Now, I do have a positive response from the city mayor. Um, He's not from here he's actually from Kettering Ohio which is where we're from as well Um, and he was my chiropractor (laughs) so I was able to get an email into him and he did respond and say that he is willing to sit down with me and mom next week and talk to us wonderful now he he tried to remove the, the county has been giving that hospice money uh every year out of the the um taxpayer funds mm-hmm. and when when this city mayor came into office he tried to stop that and uh, of course he got um, bullied and had to put it back in because they said well they're the only hospice that doesn't charge people if they can't afford to pay so we need to support them so he came back and 
reinstated taxpayer funds to them, but he lowered it by $2,500. Well, until their family, somebody else's family who's the mayor or somebody important winds up going to that hospice and has their loved ones snuffed out, like Wayne was, then until it touches your life personally, you're clueless. Right. You know. It doesn't affect me. Well, no, not until here, it does. Here's, here's another interesting fact, um, going back to the, the doctor and the nurses. The doctor was on vacation that week, so conveniently he he shoulders no blame. Um, the doctor that is supposed to step in when he is on vacation never visited the facility that week. I don't know if they're required to visit the facilities or not, but she never did. And then Donna told us in the meeting that they were um, uh, that she was also out in the field and couldn't be in the facility for most of that week. So there was Convenient. no oversight in mm-hmm. that facility for the week that my dad was there. And Marsha, this is Kelly again. I want to draw attention to that doctor that was supposed to be overseeing my dad. Uh, he's the one that signed my dad's death certificate, and he put the cause of death as Alzheimer's. No, that is not why my dad died. My dad died because they overdosed him. Exactly. With right. deadly medications a healthy person couldn't have taken what they did to it, my dad. And that, that stuff about, I mean, I know... There is some refusal of water or food at the end, but my dad wasn't there, and that is what they put in their notes was no imminent death. They did not see any imminent death in my dad, so why did they kill him? (laughs) Right. It's just amazing to me that they get away with this, or seemingly they get away with it. I don't think truly they will. Well, they do. I mean, they do. This is Rena. The lady yes, that ma'am. called in a minute ago, she mentioned protocol. That was something they kept saying, the protocol over there was. And, and they were questioned. I believe it might have been Tracy that was in the meeting when they questioned them about uh, the protocol. And then they were told, by the head nurse over there, oh, the protocol is the same whether they're in hospice for end of life or respite. And my daughter said, that is not right. That can't be right. But that's what they told her. Protocol's the same. Don't matter. If they're in here, protocol's the same. Don't matter if they're here for respite. It don't matter if they're here to die. Well, so that, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, it, it comes down to that one size fits all, and exactly. the protocol. I mean, they get away with anything because when you're in hospice, all of a sudden, all the rules are out the window for the medication exactly. that you shouldn't use for somebody over 65. It is okay to give it to them because they're dying. So. 
to me, right. for someone right. who's dying, you should give them more dignity, more consideration, more care, more life, respect than anybody else at exactly. any point in time. Why should someone's last chapter of their life be taken away from them? They should be able to get more care. Well, I'm going to tell you, when when my grandson's wives went in there and saw what kind of a mess he was in, they both are or have been in, one is still in the healthcare industry and, and, and the other one has been, they took it upon themselves to clean him up. They gave him a bed bath, put him on clean clothing and put him on some deodorant and made him a little that and and that granddaughter said, "Grandpa, you can be sick, but you're not going to be stinky." And they commenced to clean him up, and I mean they mm-hmm. did from top to bottom. But Play that was the, the condition we found. Yeah, yeah, but they're playing yes. the game. So um, I know that you had a you reached out to a nurse, and I don't know if she wants her name mentioned on here, but. Um, I would like for you to raise your hand so that I can see which number you are, and I'd like to bring you in with us. Okay, I see you here. No, I don't. Uh, Hold on one second. I'll make sure I get the right person here. Okay, you are live and on the air. I'm here. Okay. So, um, and, and if you want to give your name, that's fine. I just didn't know if you were, if you want to be anonymous. Um, but no, you, they nice. asked you, the family came to you and asked you if you would review his medical records. No, actually, I reached out to the family. Okay. Uh, my family lives in the same small town that they're from. And my sister actually saw Stella's post before it was taken down. I see. Okay. And Wonderful. so my sister called me and was like, you need to call these people and help them. And so it took a lot of Googling, but we found the article that she had posted, and I found her on Facebook and reached out. Okay. And what have you been mm-hmm. able to find from the medical records? Um, well, my professional opinion is that the nurses in the hospice house were not equipped and or educated to take care of a person that was functional, and, you know, they only know, really, every day to take care of somebody that's actively dying, so they created a scenario that they understood. If if so, they knew how to take care of somebody that was functioning, if he's crying and he's anxious and he wants to get up, go on a walk with him. Right. That's right. Maybe he's hungry. Maybe he, you know, is thirsty. Maybe he has to go to the bathroom. You can't just sedate him into a coma, you know, if he is anxious and has too much energy walk with him, you know, or or whatever it is, but they're not in a situation or an environment to take care of somebody that's functioning like that. Everybody that's in there 
is in their own beds and they stay in bed. And so they had to create a scenario that they understood. They only understand and, how to take care of someone that's actively dying, so they created that. And, Marsha, I don't – I just wanted Why to wouldn't they have there? called Rena and told her that he's crying and, you know, he wants to get up and, you know, maybe you can come and, you know, calm him down? Why wouldn't that have been the humane thing to do? That is the humane thing to do. I think that they did not want you guys to see him in the condition that they had created because any other Prudent nurse would have called the family first thing. We call families all the time, say, hey, you know, they really are anxious and, you know, they can either talk to them on the phone or come and visit or, you know, even a phone call will calm somebody down. You don't have to give them morphine when you can dial a number. Exactly. Exactly. So what, what ladies, what happens now? Where, where do we go from here? Um, I, that's yeah. a good question. <laughs> you, you brought up Carol, Marcia. This is Stella. You brought up Carol Herman. And I guess it's okay to say that she has told uh, Tracy that uh, she's going to work on getting our the death certificate changed. That's one thing that's in okay. the process she's also attempting to get the anything but like you said kepro which is the medicare quality assurance or whatever is worthless we know yes. that we know government but we are going down every road and every avenue to do everything we can to bring attention to this what they're doing. Absolutely. And something Tracy wanted me to mention was the fact that when my dad was dying and everyone was there until he took his last breath from the time they could get there till he took his last breath on Sunday, but um, those women didn't want to work. I'm just going to flat out tell you. All they did was sit on their bottoms and watch television and they're on their phones and acted irritated if we asked for anything. And Mm -hmm. when I say anything, they had nothing. They provide nothing at that place, not even the correct equipment to take vitals. That's why no vitals were taken. Okay, I'll be quiet. It's hard. Don't like well, no, you br- no, you bring up good points that they just didn't want to be bothered, which is why so many people probably in that six-room suite, if you walk down the hall, as we did for where my mother was being murdered, and every person that you walked by, you saw them laying in the bed with their mouth open, unconscious. Yeah. And that's what they do. They put them in that coma. They don't have to, you know, put a catheter in them. They don't have to come in, but every now and then look to see, did they pee? You know, are their nail beds turning blue? You know, they're, you know, maybe we bathe them a little bit here and there. But, and, you know, at nighttime, they can just ignore the patient. The patient's, you know, moaning and groaning. They just give them more medication. 
It's unconscionable, and they do it every day, and they wake up the next morning and they do it again, and they have no remorse. And I don't get that. I don't get that. To me, I believe in treating everybody with respect and the elderly and the disabled and the sick with more respect. Well, my question is, where, where, just like you said before, where do we go from here? What I mean, what recourse do we have? We we have just smacked up against so many brick walls trying to get somebody to hear us. And um, Carol has found out in calling the state of Tennessee that they haven't even assigned an investigator to Dad's case yet. And they were supposed to have a report done within six weeks, which would have been the end of November. So... There's nothing. Well, They've done nothing. I'll tell you that it's unfortunate because, you know, Capper, Keypro, um, you know, CMS, all of these oversight for hospice, they're supposed to be able to be protecting the people. They don't. And they don't because it's a money situation. But if you don't, and this is to anybody listening, if you do not go to the medical director and go to different organizations and fill out the report with Keypro or with CAPR or CMS, OIG, if you do not do those things and at some point this burst open and we do get a grassroots movement, then your report is not there. And then they look at a cross and they say, well, you know, there's only a handful of people that have ever complained about it. It must not be as bad as you think it is. Well, yes, it is. So you're doing the right thing by raising the flag. You must make those complaints, even if you don't think it makes a difference, because it is a report. It is a statistic. And at some point, if we do break through the walls of the political inhumanity, then your report is there. You've raised the flag. So it is important that we do that and that we continue telling people and bring the topic up. I mean, I'm at a, you know, a Halloween brunch, and I bring the topic up. You know, if I'm talking to people, you know, I, I, bring, I find a way to bring the subject up. People don't want to listen. They don't have to listen. Then I'll be quiet. But at least it puts food for thought for later in the event that hospice comes up. Maybe they'll do more digging. They'll look harder. Right. Right, Marcia. Well, we're we not. Know. We did not know to do that deep digging, and I have said that I didn't know to put in my browser. Hospice killed my dad until hospice killed my dad, and that's how I found yeah. you and Halo and the Ron Kranzer and those people. Oh, exactly. and, and Julie Weiner. She even called uh, myself and mom one day. Uh, it's just. Uh, incredible that you have to do that to right. find well, anything that's honest about it. You know, with my case, my dad being a hospice chaplain for 15 years, uh, we thought my mom was safe. We, you know, we asked the questions, you're not going to hasten her death, right? Oh, no, 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 we don't do that. You know, we won't cure anything, you know, but, oh, no, we would never do that. We would never hasten her death. And my dad didn't know, and he was shocked 
when he found out. And, of course, then he carried the guilt saying, well, you know, it's my fault because they never would have taken us to the respite care if it hadn't been because, you know, I was tired and they felt like I was weak and so they wanted to take care of me. So he, even being a hospice chaplain, had never seen that side and had no clue that they were murdering people. This lady that I met at the brunch, she's a hospice volunteer, had no clue that this was going on. Why would they do that? They're making money off of them. Uh, Yeah, until they're not, or until that person is combative or requires more assistance than somebody else who they just go and sit, you know, they would go to my mom's and sit behind her on their telephone, and they didn't give her a bath because she, the first one that came in, dropped her by the bedside potty and broke her tailbone. So after that, you know, we paid somebody to come in separate from hospice to give my mom a bath. So, you know, go back to what Rena said, the lies. It's all of the lies that they tell you. And so I'm saying that if you have to go to hospice, do your research, watch over them, guard them. Do not let them give your loved one morphine, Ativan, fentanyl, Haldol, Seroquel, all those drugs. Do your research. Find out what those drugs are doing to your loved one. And you will think twice about letting them have that. And I don't think anybody with cancer or, you know, a a, a disease that, you know, is painful should be in pain. But hospice was to minimize the pain. It didn't mean giving it to them every two hours or every three hours. And that's what you wind up having to become an expert on the subject if you want to protect your loved ones. Well, they when we had the meeting with the the doctor and the two nurses, um, mom actually asked why they even applied the fentanyl patch when, according to their notes, he was unconscious. And they just sat there and stared at us. They mm-hmm. had no answer. And also, if you try to Google, and I don't, I didn't even use Google. I was using. Duck, duck, go because Google tends to try to decide what you need to read and what you don't need to read. Um, the only negative thing that you can find on uh, hospice is about money. About money. That's the only thing you can find. That you you right. can very rarely find anything about the fact that they murder people. It's only about yeah. money. Right, and the care. So. Yeah. Um, we're, we're ladies, we're running out of time, but I want to thank all of you for coming on tonight um, and to our callers who called in to keep our program running. I appreciate you all listening to me, um, you know, when, on Wednesday evenings. This is our last program of the year, and we will start back up in 2024, uh, but I appreciate you all listening. And May everybody have a wonderful Christmas, and may the Spirit of Jesus bring you peace and true comfort for the rest of this year and next year. And I, for you ladies, thank you so much. I know how difficult this is. And this, you know, as I've told you all before, uh, I think Stella and you and I have had this conversation, this doesn't mean this is the end. You can always, you know, check back with me. You know, I want to know how Carol's doing with you guys and she is a very, very valuable resource, um, as well as Halo Voice and the book 
by Michelle Young Doers, Killing for Profit, The Dark Side of Hospice. It's an excellent book, which gives you more in-depth information um, about some of the other lies that they tell you. So, um, ladies, y'all have two minutes, so I'd like to open it up and give you that time frame. Rena, is there anything else you want to say? We want to thank yes. you, Marcin. I'll be quiet and let okay. Mom talk. But you're a wonderful lady, and and thank you, you well. have been awesome. Thank you. Well, thank what you. What I admire is that you you have continued. You said you lost your mother six years ago, and I just wonder how long we can continue bumping up against these brick walls and trying to get the word out. I hope we can be as diligent and have the fortitude that you've had, Marcia. Thank you very much for being there. Thank you. Thank you. I'm a bulldog. A Georgia bulldog, actually. You sure are. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Martha. And we hope you have a Merry Christmas, too. God bless you. Okay. Well, I appreciate you all coming on to tell your story so that we can warn other listeners who don't know the reality of hospice, respite care. It is a deadly betrayal. You don't come back from it. You just don't. So, I, you know, my goal is to keep people from going through what we did with my mom and you did with your dad. So we will be back in 2024. So good night, everybody, and thank you so much for joining us this evening. Good, good night. night. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hey, this is Chuck the Goat from Goat USA. I wanted to break into your podcast and tell you about the new Goat USA store at Garden State Plaza. Check us out next to Seasons 52 across from Fogo to Chow. Be the goat by wearing the goat and gift your loved ones with the greatest apparel of all time. Heavenly soft and incredibly durable, Goat USA sweatshirts and joggers are the most outstanding gifts this holiday season. So come see us at Garden State Plaza. And if you don't know, you soon will. Goat! Goat USA. Apparel for kids and adults. Chuck out. (laughs) Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.